Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 11, it says, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. The chapter's focus is on two post-resurrection appearances by Jesus The first resurrection appearances is going to take place to the women in verses 1 through 15. And then the 11 disciples in verses 16 through 20. And while the women were making their way through the city concerning the news of Jesus' resurrection, the guards are going to be making their way through the city until they come to the religious leaders to report their worst fears. The body of Jesus has disappeared. It's gone in verses 11 through 15. And you can imagine the stir that's going to take place. The women are reporting that Jesus is alive and the guards report to the religious leaders the events that took place on their watch. The religious leaders hatch a plot to explain what they cannot bring themselves to believe. The body of Jesus is gone. And so what are our options? We believe that Jesus rose from the dead, or we don't. But in order to participate in the cover-up, we have to either deny the truth or distort the truth or ignore the truth. We have to come up with an explanation about what happened with the body of Jesus. No matter what anyone thinks about this issue, everyone has to come up with an explanation. What happened to the body? Josh McDowell wrote, quote, after more than 700 hours of studying the subject, and thoroughly investigating the foundation, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it's the most fantastic fact of history, unquote. It's one or the other. The resurrection of Jesus might be the most analyzed event in all of human history, but can we prove that Jesus rose from the dead? And again, as I've been saying in this series since we've begun chapter 28, it all depends on what you are interested in accepting as evidence. One thing is certain, the angel's appearance And announcement is going to set in motion another story, another version of what happened that Sunday morning. 
the Lord Jesus launches his resurrection mission and Satan, the devil, is going to launch a counter mission. He's going to try and convince the world that it never really happened. That Jesus never really did rise from the dead. You know, my father loved crime scene investigation movies and the stories on TV. He loved CSI. He loved NCIS. And, and my father would be watching a show and, you know, as they're doing different things. And he would say to me, hey, do you know how difficult it is to trace DNA through the intestines of an alligator? <laughs> I go, Dad, why, why do you even know that? So I asked my dad for no particular reason. What's the hardest part about killing somebody? And my dad said, how should I know? And he said, but if I were to guess, I would guess how do you dispose of the body? My dad taught me from a very early age, no body, no crime. <laughs> so what happened? Look at verse 11. What really happened? Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. The women have been given the gospel of the resurrection. And the people who participate in the gospel of the resurrection are promised the presence of Jesus. The soldiers are later going to be told to spread the lie that Jesus hasn't risen from the dead and they're promised money. While the women are trying to spread the gospel, the religious leaders and the guards are going to try to arrest the gospel. The opposition starts off with some of the guards leaving the tomb and entering the city. And if you read the passage carefully, look what it says. Behold, some of the guard came into the city. Why didn't all of the guard? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that had all of the guards showed up, it might have aroused at least some suspicion. We're not sure how many guards were posted at the tomb. Estimates have ranged from as low as 12 to as many as 50. Albert Roper, in his book, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead, makes the following observation. He says, quote, Commanding the guard was a centurion designated by Pilate, presumably one in whom he had full confidence, whose name, according to tradition, was Petronius, unquote. But the guards are going to report to the chief priests, all the things that happened. So what do you suppose they reported? And I'm going to suggest to you they reported what happened. Remember we covered that in verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven in verse 2. Came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning. His clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So you can imagine the conversation. The guards report there was a gigantic earthquake, an angel or some supernatural being from outer space that had the appearance of gods 
appears. The angel lifts the stone like it's nothing. And then he sits on top of it as easily as a Roman eagle would perch on a stone. And the angelic being is glowing in verse 3. And the guards go into a catastonic state in verse 4. What's interesting is some people who have a close encounter with Christianity... They'll go to church, they'll read a Bible, they'll show up for events, but they stop short of true repentance, of real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. According to Matthew, the religious leaders may have heard about the resurrection or the disappearance of Jesus before the disciples knew. Pause for a moment in the story, think about that. Is it possible that the religious leaders get this information from the soldiers before the disciples get it from the women? I'm almost certain. And again, what did the Roman soldiers say? It may have been something like, yo, religious dudes, you're never going to believe this. The earth shook. We saw a being from heaven and the body of the crucified Jew, no offense, is gone. Think about that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is met with immediate opposition from the religious leaders. And it's interesting to me that the resurrection is still met with constant opposition from people who try to explain away the overwhelming evidence for the resurrection. And so we go to knowing the truth and telling a lie in verses 12 through 14. Look what it says. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers in verse 13 saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Unquote. And verse 14, and if this comes to the governor's ears, Pilate, we will appease him and make you secure. Now, we're not told if the religious leaders believed the soldier's report. I want you to, again, pause in the story. The soldier's report, look, there was an earthquake. A supernatural being came from heaven, removed the stone, we had no chance. We had no idea what we're supposed to do. The expression in verse 12, consulted together, is a very specific word in the Greek language, which means to embrace and embark on a lengthy deliberation. The idea isn't that, hey, look, we're in a panic. We need to come up with a story. We need to do it right away. The implication is they began to think long and hard about what they're going to say and how they're going to explain it. The religious leaders used every means available up till now to falsely accuse Jesus of crimes that he never committed, to hold an illegal trial to manipulate the Roman government. They've used deceit. They've used trickery. They've used treachery. They've used bribery to, ex to execute one of their own people. These are the religious leaders. 
And if the religious leaders are capable of obstruction of justice and murder, do you think adding an evil report is going to make much of a difference? There's no indication whatsoever from the text that anyone entertained the idea that the soldiers might just be telling the truth. That a bona fide supernatural event has just transpired. Did the angel steal the body like Moses? Did God raise Jesus from the dead? The soldiers, according to one Bible author, says, quote, the soldiers brought alarm, fear, confusion to the religious leaders, but it did not bring repentance and faith, unquote. I'm not surprised that some of the greatest opponents of the resurrection of Jesus doesn't come specifically from the scientific community or the social community. What is overwhelming to me is how many people from the religious community, pastors and priests who secretly or even openly do not believe the Bible is true. They do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They do not believe it the way that the, the, way the gospels record it. And so these religious leaders come up with a three-part plan. The first part of the plan, bribe the soldiers. That's the first part. Money has an almost demonic power in the New Testament. A considerable amount of money can bring a considerable amount of opposition to the gospel. Again, the phrase Consulted together or counseled together is a formal phrase used of official decision making. It's used exactly that way in Matthew 12, 14, Matthew 22, 15. Pay the soldiers a huge sum of money to keep their mouth shut about what happened and then come up with a plausible explanation. And the irony is overwhelming. Anyone who's familiar with the New Testament, think about what's happening in the text. The religious leaders begged Pilate earlier to place a Roman seal on the tomb and place a Roman guard at the tomb. Why? So the disciples won't steal the body. Now they have to bribe the guards to tell the story that they feared the most. The religious leaders had bribed Judas. And now they bribe the soldiers because the stakes are high. If Jesus is the Messiah, if Jesus is risen from the dead, that means religious Judaism is over with or at least radically altered. If Jesus is not risen, but something else has happened, then they can't have the citizens of Jerusalem and Judea believing that Jesus is risen from the dead. But there's another question that you need to ask. And that is, why did the soldiers accept the bribe? 
I think it's going to become clear in just a few moments why they accept the bribe. Because again, dereliction of duty at, the, at your post would almost certainly mean death. So number two, number one, bribe the soldiers. Number two, spread a fantastic lie about what happened to the body. Number three, protect the soldiers from possible punishment by Pilate. You have to remember that the soldiers are on task by permission of Pilate, serving a purpose for the religious leaders. The plan was flawed from the beginning. If the soldiers stick with the story, we fell asleep at our post, this is an admission of gross dereliction of duty. And by the way, the Roman punishment for a guard falling asleep at his post, what do you suppose it was? It's death. The Roman author Polybius tells us fear of punishment produced faultless attention to duty, especially in the night watches. Polybius says if, a, if the soldier received mercy for falling asleep, they had to run a gauntlet. That is a row of Roman soldiers who would beat them with clubs. There were 18 offenses punishable by death, including a scout remaining with the enemy, desertion, losing or disposing of your weapon, disobedience in wartime, going over the wall or the rampart, refusing to protect an officer, deserting one's post, a drafted man hiding from service, murder, wounding a fellow soldier with a sword, disabling yourself or attempting suicide without a reasonable excuse, leaving the night watch or breaking the centurion's staff or striking him while being punished, all of those were punishable by death. So how is it possible that they were asleep? How is it possible that no one heard the stone move? How is it possible <coughs> that if they were all asleep, that they knew that the disciples stole the body? Did they have a collective dream? Well, you know, we dreamt that they showed up... And we dreamt that they came and that they moved the stone. How is it possible that you can be sound asleep and still know what happened? They hadn't thought through the entire ramifications of the story. The religious leaders want you to believe that the resurrection of Jesus and the empty tomb is a hoax. It's a fraud. It's a lie. But do the facts support their claim? Look at verse 15. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? They took the money and did as they were instructed. They took the money and they did as they were told. I think I told you the story when my dad came and visited our church. My dad's from Sicily. And he's only, he, he came here one time with my brother. And he came to the church. He even came to a service. And he goes, hey, when, when do we take the money? I go, Dad, we don't, we don't take the money. We, we have an offering. And my dad started laughing. He hits my brother on the back. He goes, can you believe it? These people give him money and he doesn't even have a gun. <laughs> this just gives you a little bit of an idea of the family that I had to grow up with. The religious leaders are unable 
to prevent the resurrection. So they're going to do all that they can to plant the seeds of doubt. Not only were the Roman soldiers not going to be punished for losing the body of Jesus, they're going to be rewarded for telling a lie. Matthew reports the lie was still widely reported when he wrote this gospel. When did he write this gospel? Some scholars date the book as early as 50 AD, which would mean if all of these events are taking place between 30 and 33, you can do the math. 40, 50, only 20 years have gone by. Some scholars place it between 60 and 65 AD. That's only 30 years after the event. We know that Justin Martyr, when he wrote his um, treatise, Dialogue with Trippo, the lie was still circulating, and that's 155 to 167 AD. Justin wrote, quote, you, Jewish leaders, have sent chosen and ordained men throughout all the world to proclaim that a godless and lawless heresy had sprung from one Jesus, a Galilean deceiver, their words, whom we crucified, but his disciples stole him by night from the tomb and now deceived men by asserting that he had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, unquote. So literally generations after the event, the story was still circulating. Many years ago, G.B. Hardy wrote a book entitled Countdown, A Time to Choose. He basically noted there are only two questions about our eternal destiny. Number one, has anyone ever defeated death? And number two, if so, did he make a way for us to do it also? Unquote. Hardy explains the answer to both questions in the resurrection of Jesus as the only hope of salvation and eternal life. Those two questions, has anyone ever defeated death? And if so, did he make a way for us to do it well? Is answered in the person of Jesus. As I repeat almost every single week that we gather together from John 11, I'm, where Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, even if he were dead, yet shall he live. The most incredible thing isn't simply that Jesus rose from the dead, but his claim that if he can, in fact, bring himself back to life, that he's capable of bringing you back to life. What other theories have been advanced to explain Jesus Christ without a resurrection? One of the most popular has been called the swoon theory. This idea originated with an Italian guy. His name was Venturini in the 16th century. No relationship to me that I know of. I haven't checked on the uh, Ancestry.com, but I don't think we're related. He suggested that Jesus didn't really die, but that he swooned. That the events surrounding his beating and torture and execution threw him into a death-like coma. The severe pain and trauma caused him to black out. And when Jesus was removed from the cross and then later unwrapped the cold, damp, tomb revived him and the disciples mistakenly presumed that he had come back to life. The problem with the theory is manifold. 
How do you explain the massive spear thrust under his rib cage where the pericardium sac is separated and blood and water come from his heart as John reports? How could the Roman soldiers miss the signs of death and refuse to break his legs? Anyone who works with death knows about the signs of death. I am not happy that I am a person that I've had to deal with death a lot. And when you see someone who's actually died and their blood stops pumping, it will begin to pool in whatever circumstance you find them in. And so if Jesus is hanging from a cross and he, his blood has stopped circulating, the blood is going to start to pool and no Roman soldier, and particularly these Roman soldiers, would never ever have missed the signs. And had they missed the signs, they make sure that the body is dead by placing a pylum, which is a spear that's about eight inches long and they slip it under his rib cage. How are we to explain this? How could the Roman soldiers have missed this? How could Joseph of Arimathea missed it and Nicodemus missed it and the women miss it? How does Jesus survive being wrapped in over a hundred pounds of spices? How does he revive after 40 hours, unwrap himself, move the stone, overpower the centuries, and then get away? How does he convince his followers that he's come back to life? How does he manage to walk the seven miles to Emmaus with Cleopas and the other unnamed disciple with nail-pierced feet? Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. How does he delude the disciples into thinking that he's walked through a solid wall and then he asks Thomas to stick his fist in the hole in his chest cavity? Then how about the no burial theory? It's a take on the swoon theory. This is the theory that he really does die, but the body never makes it to the tomb. According to this theory, Jesus is dumped in a mass grave along with the two thieves and whatever else poor person died that day. But, but why again would the Jewish leaders, if he had literally gone into a mass grave, why would they pretend to post a guard around an empty tomb with no body in it. In order to disprove the resurrection, the religious leaders would only have to find the dump site and then produce the body. Or how about the hallucination theory or the mass hallucination theory? This is the theory that, that people who claim to see the resurrected Jesus are suffering from a kind of post-traumatic syndrome. There's this post-collective crucifixion syndrome where there's this intense desire with all of their heart to believe that Jesus isn't really dead. And so they fabricate this story collectively that it's induced by this intense desire but all the facts seem to indicate that the disciples not only do not believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, but the women are coming to the tomb in order to anoint a dead body. Thomas is famous for not believing. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, it says, After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. When Paul wrote those words to the Corinthians, it was about 56 A.D. Do the math. 33, 43, 53. Add 23 years. Some of you are young enough. If you can remember things from 23 years ago, raise your hand. Lots of you can. Hey, I'm willing to be the first person to concede that in the 60s, some of us did inhale. Some of us did hallucinate. But I never met 500 people who shared the same trip or the same hallucination. Or how about the telepathy theory? This is the idea that a power witch or a spiritist or a medium conjured up a telepathic image of Jesus, a kind of mental projection, a kind of mental hologram, and that the disciples and, and the apostles were deluded into following this mental projection. But again, we have a problem. Earlier in the chapter, the women are clinging to Jesus' feet. In one instance, Mary Magdalene clings so hard that Jesus says, look, you're, you're going to need to let go <laughs> how do you cling to a holographic image or a telepathic image why would this telepathic image invite Thomas to touch his wounds how could a, a holographic image cook fish tacos on the shores of the Galilee and then invite the disciples to eat it. People involved in seances report clouds and ghosts and ectoplasmic images, but no one has ever dreamt of some sort of image that literally manifests itself, that you can touch and handle. Or how about the mistaken identity theory? This is the theory that someone pretended to be Jesus. Someone who looked like Jesus and talked like Jesus and walked like Jesus. He was the exact height and weight and build of Jesus. According to this theory, they get switched in the Garden of Gethsemane. How does the fake Jesus perform a fake miracle in the restoration of the high priest servant Malchus's ear? Then the imposter is tried. The imposter is convicted, beaten, crowned with thorns, and then sent to a cross. The imposter says all of the things that were said from the cross to the thief on the cross, knowing that he's a fraud and an imposter. And then the real Jesus would still have to show up steal the body, hide the body, and then make the switch. And then he would have to appear as a formerly crucified person in order to pull off the hoax. Some have suggested again that Mary Magdalene just pretends to see Jesus in a hysterical fit of grief. But that doesn't make sense considering that Paul says, no, she's not the only one. There were literally hundreds of witnesses. And the theory that's in our text is called the theft theory. In the theft theory, the disciples overpower a highly trained Roman guard. 
one of those disciples pretends to be a supernatural being from heaven. He picks up the stone like some WW World Championship Wrestling dude. He picks up the rock, he moves it, and then he sits on top of it. Then, remember, not only do, do they overpower the guard, then they have to authenticate Jesus's misguided, mistaken, false claim that he's really risen from the dead. In other words, here's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to steal the body. They're going to have to hide the body. They're going to have to fabricate the story. And then they're going to have to maintain the story. Can you imagine concocting this tale and then dying for a lie? Except for the Apostle John, the biblical record and the church traditions have each apostle dying a brutal death. Does it make sense that, that 11 men will risk their life and their family, face unspeakable persecution, and then preach a resurrection and a gospel that's been totally fabricated? By the way, the author of this book, Matthew, he'll suffer martyrdom by being slain with a sword in, the, in a distant city in Ethiopia. Mark will die in Alexandria. He'll be tied to the back of a chariot. They will drag his body through the paved streets of Alexandria until it literally falls apart. Luke is going to be hanged from an olive tree in the land of Greece. John is going to be placed in a boiling cauldron of oil by the emperor Domitian but somehow he's going to supernaturally survive and he's going to be banished to the island of Patmos where he'll write the book of Revelation Peter is going to be crucified upside down in Rome James the greater is going to be beheaded in Jerusalem James the less is going to be taken to the temple mount, the highest portion of the temple. He's going to be pushed off. He's going to fall into the valley of Kidron and somehow miraculously survive. And then they're going to come and beat him to death with fuller's clubs. Fuller's clubs are things that ladies use to beat the laundry until he is dead. Bartholomew is going to be skinned alive. Andrew is going to be bound on an X-shaped cross where he preaches to his captors until he dies. Thomas is going to be run through with a spear in Coromandel in East India. Jude is going to be shot to death with arrows. Matthias is going to be stoned and then beheaded. Barabbas or Barnabas and the Gentiles uh, Barnabas of the Gentiles is going to be stoned to death in Thessalonica. Paul, after various tortures and imprisonments, is going to be taken to Rome where he's going to be beheaded by the emperor Nero. I want you to create a world where these men fabricate and then participate in a massive conspiracy and then die, never revealing the truth. I had the privilege, privilege, privilege of doing several events with Chuck Colson, who was a part of the Watergate cover-up. And he writes about the people who knew about the cover-up. There were less than 10. And do you know how long the cover-up lasted? It didn't even last a month. What makes more sense 
What makes more sense? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? If not, I'm going to challenge you. Explain to me. Explain to me what happened to the body of Jesus. If the Roman soldiers had stolen the body, either to trick the disciples or extort the religious leaders, thank you, Dad, for this one, because my dad goes, hey, maybe the soldiers took it in order to extort the religious leaders. I go, I'm writing that down. (laughs) Okay, that's a possibility. Did the Roman soldiers steal the body to trick the disciples, extort the religious leaders, Well, why then didn't they eventually give it back? Because Rome and Romans cursed Christians and Christianity. Christianity would become the bane of the empire. Why would the religious leaders steal the body? They wouldn't. They're trying to discredit Christ and Christianity. If the disciples stole the body and were hiding it, why would they give their lives defending the fraud. You see, the resurrection of Jesus isn't wishful thinking on the part of Christians. It's a historical fact. It takes place in time and space. The person who tells you it's a belief has to still face up to the fact and then offer proof that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The same Satan who tried to destroy Christ on the cross would have you believe that Jesus is still dead. But he's a liar. We might in our minds think that the religious leaders and the soldiers conspired together and fabricated the story, but they were supernaturally inspired. By Satan. The person of Jesus demands that he be raised from the dead. As the Son of God, death couldn't hold him, it says in Acts 2.24. Jesus promised that he would rise from the dead not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, five times throughout the New Testament narrative. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to take me, they're going to kill me, and I'm going to come back To life, and Jesus told the truth about everything. Even his enemies conceded his honesty. Either Jesus rose from the tomb, or he was a liar, and the apostles were deluded, and the martyrs were deceived. But then how do we explain the eyewitness testimony in 1 Corinthians 15, 6? The transformation of their lives, Paul's conversion, the existence of the church, and even the New Testament itself. The last thing that I would offer is proof. Is myself. Jesus saved me. It wasn't an idea or a philosophy that saved me. A real savior came back to life and came into my heart and forgave my sin and changed me completely. This letter was written to an advice column along with a response. Listen, 
Dear Eutychus, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Signed, sincerely, bewildered. Dear bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails. 39 heavy lashes. Nail him to a cross. Hang him in the sun for six hours. Run a spear through his heart. Embalm him in an airless tomb for 40 hours. See what happens. <laughs> Signed, Eutychus. Something happened. Something happened. Jesus rose from the dead. Or he didn't. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, it makes perfect sense to me. That there are people who are fighting for their lives. They want to hold on to the possession that they call themselves. They want to be in charge of their present and their future. And like the old song, they want to believe with all of their heart that Jesus did not rise from the dead so that they're free to live their life apart from God and apart from Christ in wickedness and disobedient and rebellion. But Paul was right when he said that if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, that doesn't mean everything about the Bible is false. It means we're still in our sin. It means that we've still rebelled and disobeyed God. It means that there's something wrong with us that can never be fixed. And so, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, knowing that it's the Holy Spirit who draws people, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts their heart, it's the Holy Spirit who changes their mind, it's the Holy Spirit who reminds them that Jesus is alive, just like the Bible says, and that he can come into their heart and he can forgive their sin and he can give them a whole different future if they'll simply repent if they'll simply turn from their sin, if they'll simply embrace the Savior. And so, Lord, again, I pray that you would do what I know I can't do. Lord, if I can talk a person into believing that Jesus has risen from the dead, then someone a little more clever than me can talk them out of it. But, Lord, if you convince them, if you convince them, you show up and change them it's going to be very very difficult to refute a changed life and so Lord again we pray for our family and our friends we pray for the people who seem committed to the idea that Jesus couldn't have possibly risen from the dead Lord I pray that you would convict them and Lord, I pray that these men and women would be given some added information to help people think this through.
in Jesus' name.